We looked at this text a few weeks ago. This was our introductory text to this series on freedom. And then we talked about two particular realms of our life in which we are often lacking freedom. That of money. And last week we talked about that of status and achievement. And today I'd like to talk about a very confused issue, that of what do we owe other people? Duty, moral law and duty. And I've been kind of holding this off because after we've had a couple messages, I, I knew that it would be time to talk about this. And I was hoping that after we have a few that it would be more helpful to return to this very, very important passage, Galatians 5, verses 13 and 14. And um, let me read it, and, uh, and we'll get into it. Galatians 5, 13 and 14, this is the word of God. For you are called to freedom. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Let me read that one more time. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let me quickly pray and let's get into this passage. Lord, there's tremendous confusion, especially in our modern American Western culture about these matters. But it's not just the modern Western culture, it's also the Asian Eastern cultures. And especially those of us in this room who are Asian Americans, we straddle both confusions, Lord. We pray, I pray today you would help, you would use my lips, my voice to help clarify that darkness, that, that confusion, and we would see what is the pathway to true freedom? To see Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. What I'd like to do, let me give you a little orientation for this message here. First, I'd like to first break down portions of this verse. It's not a lot, but what's in there is very, very important. I'd like to expound these two verses a little bit. Two, I'd like to talk about an issue. It'll lead us into a discussion about the way our culture operates, and particularly the issue of what I'm calling relativism and duty. Relativism and duty. That'll be the second part of our message. Third, I'd like to talk about the opposite problem that's formed out, and especially those, it's really, it's, it's especially uh, noticeable in Asian communities, and that is the question of Asian attitudes toward duty and how we seek to be good persons. And then four, I'd like to talk about real Christianity. What is real Christianity? All right, so let's get it. First part of this message let me make a few points here. Now, one, what is freedom? What's freedom? For most people, do you not think of freedom as something like this? Most people think of freedom as it is the absence of all restraints and constraints. That you do not have to do anything that someone else expects of you. Someone wants, tells you to do something or expects you to do something. You don't have to do it. You get to do what you want to do. 
Take those constraints, restraints away, those expectations off you, and you are free, right? Isn't that what most of us think of freedom? That's what freedom is, right? That's the way we, our view of it. But if you look at this passage, and if you've been listening to the message in this series, you start to understand, hmm, when Paul is talking about freedom, I don't think that's what he's talking about. He's talking about something else. And yet, how does that word have the same meaning, right? And that's the first point I want to say. The way we think about freedom, the take the constraints and the strengths and expectations, that's not freedom. There's something wrong about that view. I mean, it's a freedom of a sort. But that's not the freedom it's talking about. It's not the deeper, real freedom that we crave and seek and long for. That can't be it. Now, let's look at a couple of things that he says here. He says next, Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. He says you're free. You're called to freedom, brothers and sisters, because that's a kind of all-encompassing word. Brethren, that's the old English word, right? So it's not... It doesn't exclude sisters, so don't be upset about that word, okay? It says here, um, do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Now, in this modern day and age, what we often tend to think is somehow we're the most free people that's ever been on this planet, and that in this time, we've kind of advanced. We've like discovered freedom more than ever before, and we love this thing. But... And, and we know that if we can just get all the constraints and restraints off people and, and they won't feel all this all the time, having someone telling them what to do, they can find out what, what's ticking inside their heart and then they can be fulfilled. And what I want to let you know is this idea of freedom, this is not a new idea. Paul understands this. Back then they felt this thing too. It's interesting. He says, you're called to freedom. And then the very next breath, the very next sentence, he says, do not use this as an opportunity for the flesh. What does he mean by that? In our time, in our time and day, everybody understands that someone else, other people get to set the kind of table for you of how you're supposed to live and act, that there's supposed to be expectations upon you. There is supposed to be a law and a standard that you're supposed to follow. And Almost everybody knows, oh man, this, I, don't, I don't really want this. And then we want, we want to be freed of this. We don't want this to have to define us. But then Paul understands immediately there's another problem. This other problem is, if you think this way, there will be an opportunity, what he calls for the flesh. And let me explain this a little bit. What is the, what is this term flesh mean when Paul is saying it? When you hear the term flesh, you tend to think, okay, you know, you know, bone and skin and physicality, meat, right? It's kind of what he means, but that's not all he means, right? It's a very loaded and very meaningful word for Paul. and It's sometimes a little confusing, but Paul does not mean it is an opportunity for physicality. For What he means by that is when Paul uses the word flesh, he's using an all-encompassing term for meaning life lived without God. Without his wisdom, without his presence, without his power, without his truth, without his grace, without his presence. God, if you take God out of it, what is left? It's our wisdom, our power, our, our, uh, our efforts. It's how we put it together according to our own mind. And when we do that, the way Paul, what he intimates by saying, he's calling it flesh, he's saying is, you're now living as if you're meat. You're just hunks of meat without soul, without eternity, without heaven. 
You're living like animals, effectively. And he calls that flesh. And if you, if you use freedom, you cast off all these uh, standards and laws and expectations on you, now you're in danger of living according to flesh. According to a, it's just as if, if it's just your life of man without God, like your hunks of meat. That's what he's saying. But you know what? We already know this, don't we? We know this. You know that there needs to be standards upon you. Otherwise, you're, all that you have left over is just you. It's just, it's just a certain kind of selfishness. And we know that that's a problem in our society. That we're living in all the people in our society that there's just tremendous selfishness. And we just, of course, we just wish that other people would be less selfish. You know, we don't want, we don't want to cast upon us, right? But this is what Paul is talking about. Freedom is not just getting to do what you want and having other people you know, other people's uh, expectations cast off of you. That can't be a freedom. Otherwise, you're being led into a problem of what he calls an opportunity for the flesh. Now, let's go to the next verse. The next verse. It says, it says here, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says, do not use freedom as an opportunity to the flesh, but what? Serve one another in love. And then he tells you this thing. The whole law is fulfilled in this one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What does this mean? He's saying that if you want to have real freedom, it can't be dissociated from something of the law. He actually now goes immediately to a discussion of how the law can be fulfilled, how we can have fulfillment. And that's a word that we all love, don't we? <laughs> fulfilled. How can we be fulfilled as human beings? You know, all of you watch every commercial, all our language in, in our talk is talking about fulfillment. I want fulfillment. And he is now talking about fulfillment. But now he's talking about the law as fulfillment. And there is no way that there can be freedom unless something about the law is fulfilled. What we in our society want is like, hey, we want the law taken off of us and then I can be free. But actually what he says to you is something about the law has to be fulfilled. And we know this. There's no such thing as real freedom in who you are unless there is a fulfillment. There's something of the law which has to be in us. And that means there's no such thing as a real freedom without law. And you know what? Let me place this before you. You all know this. Every human being seeks law. You know that? You all seek rules, standards. You all seek a way that somebody tells you, how do you be a good person? How can you be fulfilled at this moment that, 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 that the right kind of person that you're supposed to be? You all know this. And let me, and let, let me, let me see if I can... Uh, Make to demonstrate this for you. Whatever context you go into, now you don't actually say this in your mind. You go, what are the rules? <laughs> what are the laws? How can I be a good person? But you, you don't even need to say it. It's just there. It's there. That, that question is there. And it shapes you. So no matter what the context is, so you walk into a classroom, you're in school, immediately there is an expectation of behavior, Right? Can you prop your feet up on your desk? Can you, you know, chew on like, a, I'm going to eat peanuts and start just throwing the shells out? At a ball game, you can eat peanuts and start throwing shells on the ground. You can do that, actually. But not in the classroom. Can you start having a conversation with the person next to you? 
immediately there is a law. It's not maybe written on the board and so actually in, in classrooms, in, in little kids, they actually have the rules on the board. But no matter what, even when you're an adult, as soon as you walk into a classroom and there is a class going on, there is a law, right? And immediately you start to, you, you, you seek this. You can't just talk to whoever you want. There's a person up front. Usually there's a person up front. They're trying to get something across. People are, are no, they're supposed, there's a time to talk and there's a time to be quiet. You're supposed to raise your hand. <laughs> and you're supposed to actually learn something, and it's supposed to be a blessing. It's supposed to bring some goodness into our life. Those are the rules, right? And what happens if you break that law? People will turn to you. They'll look at you. So at first, they'll look at you. <laughs> you know? And if you keep that up, if you keep breaking the law, the standard, in the classroom, what will happen? Someone will come along and ask you, get the heck out of here. And what's going on there? A verdict. A verdict is being placed upon you. People are judging you. They're trying to measure up right away. Are you good enough or not? And you know what? You're, you're trying to fear, fear, figure out that out too. And you're trying to measure up to that thing. A verdict is being placed upon you. And that's why Paul is constantly concerned about this question of justification. Because justification is to say, I'm clear. The verdict upon me is the right verdict. That's what justification is about. We are very, we are very serious about justification. There's no such thing as not caring about justification. Just because it seems like a religious word, it's actually a very relevant word. So you walk into a classroom, verdict, justification, law, standards, fulfillment, it's all there. It can't, you can't get away from it. Okay, you're like, well, that's a, that's, that's a class. It's full of rules, pastor. Really? Really? Let me change. Let me offer you another context, which is nothing like a class. How about, how about a singles bar? <laughs> how about a bar? In this, in this setting, can you talk to your neighbor? Of course. In fact, you're supposed to hit on your neighbor. <laughs> and the music is loud. Can you get drunk? Can you drink? Yes. That's what they're there for. In fact, that's exactly what they're hoping you do. They're hoping that you'll spend money, get drunk, your inhibitions will lower, and you'll go home with somebody. <laughs> and then tomorrow, they hope you'll come back and do it all over again. <laughs> right? That's what the whole establishment is there for. But it has rules, right? There's a law. Isn't there a law there? It's interesting. There's a standard. And it's, it's a strange to put it this way because we don't tend to think of like a singles bar as a place that has standards and laws, but it does, isn't it? There's an expectation of how to be a good person, even though we don't tend to think of the people, the way they behave in that establishment as being very good. But there's actually a standard of goodness because there's actually, they're seeking a kind of goodness, a blessing, so to speak. Hopefully I'll meet somebody of the opposite sex and sometimes it's not of the opposite sex anymore in our culture. And they will like me and hopefully I will get uh, some sexual pleasure out of this or at least some good conversation. Or at least somebody will buy me a drink or maybe I can get drunk or some nice music or some company, something, right? This is a blessing. But there's also still a verdict. There's also the verdicts of all the people who are looking at you to see if you're worth talking to, if you're worth taking home. There is another set of verdict. What if you start to break the rules? There's other people watching you who will judge you. As long as you're following the rules and you're dancing and trying to pick up on someone, you're justified in that place. You get the right verdict. You're being a good person there. 
But, but if you start punching people, <laughs> you get overly drunk and belligerent in certain kinds of ways, somebody, a big bad man, will show up <laughs> and say, if you don't get the heck out of here, we're going to beat the heck out of you. And they kick you out of that place. And so what is that? That's a verdict that you don't measure up. Get out of here, right? So even in a singles bar, this thing is going on. There's no such thing as a, a, a life without law. There's no such thing as a life without rules and standards and expectations without you owing somebody something. There's no such thing. What kind of life is that? We all wish we could take that away and then just be in this little space where you only have to listen to yourself, but that's, that's just not real. In fact, it's a fantasy. If that's constantly what we're wanting, there's something wrong with that. And the fact that this is what we're always looking for and wanting and desiring is something that tells you there's something very confused and very wrong with the way we think and with the way we feel. Okay? Now let me move to part two. This is the whole thing. If I set this up, is this looking like a very relevant passage for you? I hope so. Let me talk about relativism. Let me talk about relativism. You know, you have this feeling. You, do you guys have this feeling? We call it, thank God it's Friday. Why do we like Friday so much? Because Friday is the day when somebody who has the right to tell you what to do and to set the bar, the law, the rules, that, you know, like that's off. That's off, right? And then now you're like, Free. Oh, I'm free. Friday is the day we get free, right? Or how about, um, you know, at the end of the day, the work day is over. You have a time of freedom, and the law is not upon you. The expectations are not upon you. And, you know, for me, here's when it happens. It's when the kids are asleep. And my wife and I are just sitting there, and for about one hour, sometimes two, I just can be free. <laughs> no kids. <laughs> Where I have to be the daddy. I don't have to give Elizabeth a bath. I don't have to, I don't even, and my, and my wife, she's, she sometimes has conversations and asks me to do stuff and I, I start tuning her out. Right? Unless she's telling me something that I, I want to hear. Right? But for about one hour or two, or, and, and you know, and one of the reasons I'm, a, I don't know if you're like me, one of the reasons I'm a late night kind of person is because I like this time to go on. So I, I like to stay up. So around, it's, it's interesting, around 10 o'clock, I start getting more awake. Not not sleepy. Some of you guys are like, yeah, you get all tired out. But like, you guys are, you guys are like, whatever. Not me. And so, I, you know, and, and sometimes my wife goes to bed. I'm like, oh, total freedom. I get to do whatever I want. Huh? Because there's no law. There's no standard. I'm just going to be lazy. <laughs> and sometimes I prop open a book. Sometimes I'm watching TV. And sometimes I do, I, I've done, and sometimes honestly, I mean, I'll admit this to you. I've done bad things. I've looked at things on the internet that I ought not to be looking at. Right? And that's what sometimes happens. Because no, there's no laws. There's, no, there's nobody else to put their expectations upon you. And this is what we want. And you know what we want in our society? We, we, we think this is the best time. And we all want all of life to be this way. And what we've discovered is you know, in, in the modern day, we've gone around all these different cultures. We've met all these different people, and we find that all their rules are a little different. This, these guys have this rule. These guys have this rules. And then what we want to say is, oh, there's no final rules. There's no final law. And so then we come up with this idea that we call it, it's all relative, relativism. Right? 
And wouldn't it be great if there was no final law? Wouldn't it be great if we could just say there's no final rules set upon us because then we, just, we could feel like we're ultimately free all the time. But that's not real, is it? We could feel like all of life would be like after 10 o'clock at night or all of life would be Friday after work, but it's just not true. And in, this, and in our culture, we, it's really strange. We have a very... We, one of the reasons you can tell this is really deep in us is because we have a very difficult relationship with anybody who has a right to tell you what to do. Your boss, do people have problems with their boss? Somebody has such a problem with their boss, when some days they flip out, bring a gun, and start shooting them. It happens. It happened here. In Cupertino, rich, suburban Cupertino, it happened here just a few weeks ago. We have problems with their boss. We have problems with their parents. We have problems with the pastor, I know, because I, I, that's my job. <laughs> Pastors, right? Your elders, anybody. We just wish that person's voice. So you kind of want that person in your life, and you don't want them in your life. Right? And we just want this realm of freedom. And deep down, and then we want to say there's no laws upon us. And why today, we don't want there to be a God. Or we're afraid if there's a God. And we want to say that there's no ultimate standard. And we want to say all cultures are relative. But you know what? This is not a new idea. You know, we think that today we're the most enlightened. We've met all the cultures. And therefore, we can say we can pronounce it relativism. But that's just sheer baloney. Long time ago, they had such a thing called the Crusades. Europeans would fight against, you know, Arabs. They would have an encounter of different culture. You know, the, the Romans would meet the barbarians. There'd be an encounter of different cultures. People knew that people had other different standards, but nobody believed there wasn't one final standard. And if you go back a couple hundred years, there were, they had a word for it. They called it the moral law. And they called it, with a capital M, capital L, the moral law. And they knew that the way that you may do it may change, but every culture cares about respect. They care about responsibility. They care about honor and shame and standards. So there was such a thing so deep down that we don't even have to say it. You walk into a room and the moral law is clicking because it's written in your heart. You can't ever erase it. You can go, relativism, baloney. You can say relativism all you want, but it's just a delusion. It's a lie in our culture. Because at the end of the day, you know what we want out of relativism? We want this. We want nobody to be able to tell us a final verdict that you're not good enough as a human being. That's what we really want. And then ultimately what we want is all of life to be Friday after work, 10 o'clock at night. I get to do what I want. But you know what? It's just, it's just justified relativism. It's just a fancy way to say I'm still a good person even though what I deeply want in my life is selfishness. I want to just call my own shots, right? But there's no real life in this. Now, what is the word? There is a word. There is a word that we call, that our culture doesn't use very much anymore, that tells you what you're supposed to do to meet up to the law and the standards. And our, word hate, and our culture hates that. And that word is duty. Duty. Oh, I heard someone just say it. Yuck. Right? And even though only one person in the room said it, you all felt it, right? Duty. 
It's like a, it's like a worse bad word than like the F word. <laughs> There's some people who use the F word like everything, but they, that's, but they don't mind, they don't mind hearing the F word. But duty, that's not a word we want to hear. Because duty says, oh, this is the, all the things that I have to do. But there is no such thing. Right? We want to cast this thing off. And we feel that if we can erase that out, if we can erase that idea out, then all every, every day would be like Friday afternoon or 10 o'clock at night, and I can just live my own life. But that is just selfishness. To take duties away, I don't even know what life could be like. If duties could actually be taken away, what kind of life would that be like? And the more we start seeing that people don't actually live up to what your duties are, then actually life just starts falling apart and actually starts getting chaotic and actually quite bad. And we're starting to feel that in little pockets of that in our culture, right? We're starting to feel that. Relativism and duty. And deep down in our hearts we feel this because that relativism is not just an idea in our head, it's a feeling. It's a feeling that's infected you. And that selfishness, to me, relativism, selfishness, self, like, I, I, nobody can tell me that thing, that's, that, that, if you want to know what relativism is, you walk out of this room, you're like, I don't believe in relativism, of course. As a theory, you're like, I'm a Christian, I don't believe in relativism, fine. But in your heart, you'll want relativism. And if in your heart you have that feeling, then relativism has gotten its rot pretty deeply into you. And it has, has it not? Now let me go to part three. Ah, pastor, come on. There's duties, I get it. We can't just do what we want. Life isn't all Friday afternoon. I get it. But are you just basically now saying that the way to be a good person is to fulfill all our duties, go do our duties? Is that what you're saying? Oh, man, I already know this message. Of course you know this message. Almost every person in this room is Asian. (laughs) What's happening in our culture? The American Western culture has chosen, okay, we tried the duty route. What was the voice of duty in America? The voice of duty in America was Christianity. The voice of duty in America was Christianity, and Christianity told us, go to church, love your neighbor as yourself. You actually, even, even secular people even know that command. They even know you're supposed to love other people. I mean, we even have all that stuff. That was the voice of duty, but it's like, ugh. We encountered certain other cultures, and we want to erase that voice, and so we said, let's kind of like, let's get away with that. That's the way American culture went. But there's a lot of people who are here in America who don't buy that. They're Asians. And Asians, they speak a totally different way. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting. It's right here in this building. If you walk into this room... Those people who typically walk in, into this room and worship in this room, the Asian Americans, they hate the word duty. And what's the word we like? Rights. That's the word, that's the language we like to use. Rights. You don't have a right. I have a right. I have a right. That's the word we love, don't we? Rights. But if you just walk down the hall and say to somebody in that room over there, first generation Korean American, and you start saying, I don't know, you don't have a right to tell me that. They'll look at you like, what the heck? And if it's your dad, he'll, he might hit you. <laughs> you if I tell him, you don't have a right to tell me that. He'll look at you like, what? Why? Because what is churning in his mind? He's like saying, what makes life is not your rights. 
respect your duties. And in fact, sometimes they say this out loud, but if they don't say this out loud, this is what they're thinking. The reason you're always asking for your rights is because you're just a selfish person. Rights is just a word you use to assert your selfishness. Hmm. Is that all rights are? Can't be all rights are, because there are such a thing as rights. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. But isn't there some truth to that? Isn't there truth to that on the Asian side? But here's the thing. Here's the problem, and you know this. You know this. Anybody who's tried to live according to the rules, the laws, to be a good person, to get the right verdict, duty is an endless treadmill, and it is crushing. You guys ever been on a treadmill? Who here works out? Hmm? 24-hour fitness, some of you guys at Gold's Gym. You got a treadmill at home? Who's, here? Who's on a treadmill, right? I kind of have a love-hate relationship, well, mostly hate. <laughs> I have a mostly hate relationship with treadmills. I look at one of those and go, oh, I hate them. But I feel I need them. And in some ways, it's kind of like this. What if you were told to be on a treadmill? And go one mile. It's not even, you're you're just going to lightly jog. We're not even going very fast. We're just going to lightly jog. Go a mile. You do it. Who here could do it? I bet you pretty much everybody in this room could do it. Even if you're like really flabby and out of shape. I know I look like I'm like very studly and in super shape. But but a mile would be like, okay, we're we're pushing it there. (laughs) I feel like we're pushing it there, but I could do it. Okay? What if it was two, or five, or ten? What if it was a hundred miles? What if I told you to get on the treadmill and go five hundred miles? What if we crank the speed up just a little higher? And that is what it feels like to be in the Asian culture, where it's all duty (laughs) and no rights. It's all duty. Because what is the problem in the duty-oriented world? Because in the Asian culture, you're supposed to contribute to goodness, which is the goodness of everybody. That's what matters. The individual doesn't matter. Because that's what rights ultimately is, is to protect the individual. It's to protect the uniqueness of the individual, the good individual, the blessing that God intends for an individual person. But often in Asian cultures, they don't care about that. They're like, whatever, right? It's like the collective, that's all that matters. It's all just duty. So let's, sh- let's put everybody on a treadmill. And some people won't make it, and we know that. Some people get crushed down upon it. Because getting on the treadmill is tiring. And what happens when you're on this treadmill of duty, do your duty, try to be a good person, and you're doing this thing? After a while, you'll break down. And we use a word for it. And that word is? Some of you say this. I've heard some of you say this. I'm burned out. And you just stop, right? Here's what burned out is. When you're burned out trying to be a good person. Burned out is when you've been on the treadmill and after about 100 miles, you just can't do it anymore. You just stop. Boom. You'll fall down. People are like, uh, you're like, <laughs> it's rolling underneath you, but you're just lying there. <laughs> and people are like on it, and they're like, what's wrong with you? Get up! They're like, uh-uh. Why? Because you've been running for 500 or 1,000 miles, and you're like, I just can't do it anymore. That's what burned out is. In your heart, inside you, 
They can't get up anymore and run it anymore. That's what burned out is. This is what happens, right? Man, this is dark, Pastor. You know, in the Asian American world, here's what I think is happening. You grow up in the duty treadmill. And then you come to America and they erase the duty for you. Like, oh, I like this. <laughs> but I like this. And you say, so you know what we do? We totally swallow this. You know what we've done? We've totally swallowed the dysfunctions of both sides in our culture. And then we think if we cast this part off, we'll be free. But then when, when the people in the first generation, our parents or older people say, hey, you're not very free, you're just selfish. We don't want to hear that, but we know deep down it's true. So this isn't a path to freedom, and this isn't a path to freedom. How do you get there? Now let me talk about two things. Why we break down. And this will be a clue to how we get there, okay? Which will get me to the last part of the message, real Christianity. Let me offer you two, this is not the only reason, but let me give you two big reasons why we burn out, why we don't want to do it anymore. I mean, I can tell you because you're selfish. We already know that. Right? Let me give you two other reasons. Number one, deep down, there's not enough love. There's just not enough love in you. You just don't love people that much. I'm a loving person. No, you're not. <laughs> we just have a poverty of love in you. Think about this. Um, when you love somebody, will you do stuff for them? Will you go the extra mile? Will you sacrifice? You watch every movie, or for those of you, I mean, you're not too young. Um, when you were 13, or 14, you first fell in love with somebody, maybe when you were 10 or 11, you started having these dreams of doing some stuff for somebody, right? You watch the movies and you want to do stuff for some of this person. Or maybe if you were ever lucky to actually have some requited love, you fell in love with somebody, your boyfriend, your girlfriend or something, and what did you do? You spent, you willingly, gladly spent your money and your time concocting strange things to do, to do, to, to, to do blessings to the other person, right? Because there's love in you. Not just a feeling, but actually a desire, a powerful desire to serve the other person because they're more than a neighbor. That's what you do. But let me, okay, that's an obvious example. Let me give you another example. Babies, right? Some of you guys have children. Some of you guys don't. Let me just tell you, for anybody who ever had parents, and you can, you can see them. It's not like hard to see. It's, you can see this. People have kids. This baby is selfish and helpless and can't do anything back for you. You know that? And yet you watch these people, mommy and daddy, just do stuff all the time. And quite literally, this baby is sucking the life out of you. Quite literally. You know the mom? The, you know the baby's on the teat. The mom, this baby is quite literally sucking life out of you. Like, what's oh, just sucking milk out of you? No, it's not. Okay? You know, when my wife... When I, my wife was married, like, you know, I found out that she had a really thick head of hair. She's got incredible density of hairs on her head. Like, you know, some of you guys have, you know, it's sparse up here, and some of you it's very sparse up here, but, but she had an incredible amount of hair. But after we got married, um, after we got married, then she had Hudson, our first, you know, our first child. I'll come out of the shower, and I'm like, what the heck happened? Is Grace shedding? There'll be all those hairs on it, because what will happen is, Pregnant women who are nursing their child, literally, 
the life is being sucked out of them and it starts being affected by their hair falling out and their body starts to like, you know, they get tired. I mean, you're really starting to get tired. And then the men, you're working hard. You're getting up in the middle of the night. I'm getting up in the middle of the night to like, what? We're just like, oh, this kid, right? To change his poo-poo. And I'm tired, exhausted. Am I, am I going to do this? I am going to do this. I'm working. I'm making money. I'm getting up in the middle of the night. There ain't no Friday night. <laughs> there ain't no free times. It is a treadmill, and yet I do it willingly. Why? Because I love them. And love, in this sense, is not even just, it's not even just a feeling. You start doing this to people, right? It's a courtesy, even. You walk into a class on how you treat people. If you don't have disdain for them, it's actually a form of love. But one of the reasons why we get burned out is, one, because there's not enough love. Because at the end of the day, what will enable you to serve somebody, to love them as your neighbor, as you will want them to love you, the fuel for this is love. And the real deep problem with most people is this. We don't have enough fuel for this. It's not enough love. That's problem number one. Let me offer you a second diagnosis. Why? You know, most people don't do stuff for other people out of love. So what do we do it for? You know what we do it for? Verdict. (laughs) That's what we do it for. It's very interesting. We love and we are attracted to the people who say good things to us. The second word which I want to use, the second problem why we get burned out is because the word of man, the verdict of man of other people is too big in your life. That's the problem. Number one, there's not enough love in your heart. Number two, the verdict, the word of man is far too important in your life. You know, there's a set of people, you grow up, and they're the, the people that are important. They tell you how to behave in this room, how to behave in this context. It's interesting. You get among a popular set of people, the, the alpha girl or the, the head lead dog, the leader of the pack. He's the one who tells you. And these are the people that you got to stand up to. you got to measure up to. And what starts to happen is we do this not out of love, but because we want to prove ourselves. We want people to think well of us at the end of this. This is partly what we're deeply chasing. I want to be good, feel good about us, and I want people to feel good about me. And that is too big in your life. Oh, oh, pastor, I'm not like that. I've cast the other voice. I've, I, I don't listen to anybody. I don't, need, I don't need anybody else's opinion of me. Oh, really? There's still another verdict, a word of man that you care about very, very deeply. You know who that is? Your own. Your own voice, your own verdict is a word of man you very much care about. And sometimes you, you're like, I'm going to stop listening to all these other people. But you know what? There's still a voice in your own head. It's weird. It's you judging you. It's you judging you. And, so, and for some of you, you, the you that judges you is more lenient than other people. But for some of you, the you that judges you is far worse a far greater taskmaster and enslaver than anybody else, that voice won't shut up. And that voice, that verdict, where you can tell yourself that you're okay, man, that voice is just too big. 
And that's why you get burned out and you won't do it anymore. You won't serve and help and love anymore. That's why there's no freedom in our hearts. It's either somebody else's voice enslaving you, somebody else's verdict you're chasing, or your own. And, and for almost everybody, it's some mixture. Somebody else conditions your own. <laughs> All right? And that voice tells you, and then you're enslaved, and then you can't do it. And now let me get to the last message, last part, part four. Real Christianity. Everybody thinks, well, I should say everybody, so many people have this wrong notion. In the West, the voice of duty was Christianity. They said, go to church. Stop lying, don't sleep around, follow these rules, get into this book called the Bible, right? You know, so far, up to this message, I could have given this message at, like, a secular university. I haven't really talked much about God, have I? I've even used the secular term for it, moral law. I didn't say absolute law of God, the commandments of God. I called it moral law, which we intuit. I haven't even talked about God. I haven't talked about God, Jesus. I expounded the Bible. But actually, we could have used this and had a very secular conversation about why we don't have inward freedom. But now let me talk finally about Christianity. There is this prejudice that Christianity is just the voice of duty perform. But that is really just the voice of religion. It's only looking at Christianity as, a, as if it's a religion. It's like, it's a religion, right? Well, kind of. But Christianity is not just a religion. You know, over there, the Muslims do it a certain way, and the Buddhists do it another way, and all these other cultures, they have their own religion, and they have their own voice of duty and performance. Today, in our culture, we erased ours, Christianity. And therefore, we're free. No, we're not. But Christianity is ultimately not, real Christianity is not really a pathway to duty. Real Christianity is actually a pathway to freedom. Because what you really need is the love and the verdict, a word. And Christianity tells you a new word. A word we call the gospel. That's what it is. It's news. It's words. And that word is all a word about a person named Jesus. It's very interesting the way the Bible describes Jesus, the way the Bible describes him. In John chapter 1, it says, In the beginning was, I don't know if you guys know this, the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Isn't that interesting? And it goes on. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The Word came and dwelt among us, and He became flesh. And who's that talking about? It's Jesus. It's very interesting. The Word is a person. It's not just a word that just comes off the lips, it's on a page. It's a person. The Word is Jesus. And it says other ways it describes God. God is a Word. It also says that God is love. You know, some Christians say that love became flesh and dwelt among us. And here is the gospel. The Word, who is God, came into the fleshly, messed up world so He can bring His Spirit, He can bring His wisdom, He can bring grace, and most of all, He can bring love. And on that cross, He lived the life so that he could answer all of our duties and all of our callings and all of the standards 
And then on that cross, he knew that we didn't, he knew that some of us are burned out and lying there, not able to run on that treadmill. And he was, many of us are failing. And he put all those failures upon himself. He put all the duties, the treadmill on himself, on that cross. And then he died and he was risen so that he could pour forth his spirit, which is his love. Brothers and sisters, you guys want freedom? It's not the American way. It's not the Asian way. It's the third way. It's not the duty way. It's not the I get to just Friday night way. It's a third way. A third way is there's a verdict. And only when the sweet verdict of Jesus' word on you, based upon what he has done for you, when that looms larger than everything, and you just sink on that, and you go to that. You go to Him. It's very weird. You come to church every week, some of you, and you listen to a crazy guy up front talk and give words. But my words are meant to take you to the Word. And the Word who is a person who tells you His Word upon you, His verdict upon you, which is, you're good, because I took it upon myself. And only when you go to Him and you let that word really sit, when you believe that word, and you let sit upon your life, when you let Him speak into you, will you begin to have freedom and a love will flow into your heart that you can really serve other people. That's the only time that ever happens. So brothers and sisters, please come. Eat the gospel. Get the fuel of the love of God through the gospel. And the word, which is the verdict, Jesus, be upon you so you could be free. Let's pray.